You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Welcome to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly, founder of Agape Moms, and I'm glad that you could join me for this conversation today. Here on the podcast, we emphasize discovering you on the journey through. And what that means is I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose. And I believe that she can do it right through the things that God is carrying her through in her season as a single mom. My guest for this conversation is Dr. Julie Slattery. And Julie and I talk about sexual brokenness. And Julie discusses God's design for sexuality and how deeply wounding it is for us when we experience some kind of abuse or betrayal that distorts God's design of sexuality for us. However, Julie also helps us to really understand what that design is so that we can actually reclaim sexuality for ourselves and begin to walk in sexual wholeness. Julie also gives some insight into the process of healing sexual wounds and how we can live out God's design for sexuality as single people. Woundings and trauma that we experience can cause us to create adaptations in the way that we relate to people that can actually end up keeping us in long-term cycles of chronic loneliness. And while these are survival mechanisms that are crucial to working through a traumatic experience, changing some of these adaptations can help us to break through in places where we may feel lonely. I've developed a quiz over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz called What's Your Loneliness Type? That quiz will take you just a couple of minutes and it will help you to understand what some of those adaptations are, but then give you some suggestions for shifts in your mindset that can lead to a fuller life and relationships. Again, you can take that quiz over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. I'd like to introduce you to Julie. Dr. Julie Slattery is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and the president co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. From 2008 to 2012, Dr. Slattery served at Focus on the Family, writing, teaching, and co-hosting the Focus on the Family broadcast. But in 2012, she left Focus on the Family to start Authentic Intimacy, a ministry devoted to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. Julie is the author of 10 books and host of the weekly podcast, Java with Julie. Julie and her husband, Mike, are the parents of three sons, and they live in Akron, Ohio. After the episode's over, I'd love for you to take some time for yourself to reflect with God on the things that Julie mentions in this conversation and discover what He has for you going forward. If you'd like to journal about your experience with this episode— Look down in the show notes, you'll see a resource there called Podcast Pages, and those are the free downloadable journal pages that I've created for you to utilize. Here is my conversation with Dr. Julie Slattery. Julie, I'm excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Absolutely. Julie, I want to dive right in here in the discussion of sexual brokenness and just honor the fact that most listeners here do have significant trauma around sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so we're acquainted with what it means to be broken sexually. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the healing process, we need a roadmap to understand where it is we even want to go. But the idea of sexual wholeness might be somewhat distant or foreign for us. Could you lay a foundation for us in understanding our healing as it relates to pursuing sexual wholeness? Yeah, uh, well, that's that's a good question to start with because I think it really gets to the big picture. And I think for a lot of people, if you even ask them, what does sexual wholeness mean? What does that look like? They don't even know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. Like usually we think of it as the absence of pain. Like um, if I no longer fear intimacy or when I have that memory, it doesn't it doesn't hurt as much as it used to. Like those are markers of healing and wholeness. But I think for a lot of us, we stop short in our understanding of wholeness and we kind of cheapen sexual wholeness, even in terms of, well, it means I have to be married. Um, it means I have to be having sex, pain-free sex. And I think that's 
um, maybe a warped view of what wholeness is. Um, so sexual wholeness is first and foremost understanding that God created us to be sexual people because he created us um, for intimate connection, not necessarily for sex, but our sexuality is the aspect of us that makes us want to move toward people and actually is a metaphor for wanting to move towards God and have intimacy with him. And so I think wholeness is when we see intimacy as a good thing, we can begin to identify barriers to intimacy. And again, not just sexual intimacy, but trusting people, trusting ourselves, um, being able to discern the good in people and discern where there need to be boundaries. And so I think when we see wholeness as I am free to be intimate, I'm free to be known. Uh, I, I'm desiring that I'm longing to be in community and close relationship, whether that includes marriage or not. Then I think we're really getting closer to what wholeness actually looks like. You touched on several emotional components of that as well, whether that's intimacy, trust, boundaries, all these things that we might be trying to re negotiate at the stage yeah. that we're in right now. And that can be frustrating. And then we have this thing, these maybe sexual desires, or we're comparing that with our brokenness on the other side. So then we're not really sure how to make heads or tails of why do I have this sexuality? If it's something that I have to work so hard at, there's all these emotional tangling points yeah. and it's been a pain point. So how can we understand what God really wants for us, what he wants to reveal about himself through mm -hmm. our sexuality, mm -hmm. especially in this single season? Yeah. Well, I think when we misunderstand sexuality and the more it's been distorted in our lives and Honestly, it's been distorted in everyone's life at one level or another, mm -hmm. but we just, we start to disintegrate sex from all the things it was meant to be connected to. And so we're, we're separating sex from emotion. We're just able to do something with our bodies that has no feeling anymore. We're numb or dissociating, or we separate sex from relationship. And so you think about like pornography, you're having a sexual experience with an image, somebody that you don't even know their name, nonetheless have a relationship with. And we're separating sex from God, who is the creator of sex. Uh, and so in our brokenness, whatever that brokenness looks like, we have sexuality being fragmented from every other aspect of who we are as people, our humanity, and so healing means starting to reintegrate those piece, pieces and understanding that sexuality has to be integrated with our spirituality, um, with our walk with the Lord, with relationship, with intimacy. Um, and so I think when we start to see how um, sex has been misunderstood and tarnished in so many different ways, it helps to give us a bigger picture of what God actually intended with our sexuality, that it's it's a whole body, whole personhood movement towards intimacy, towards relationship, towards commitment, towards covenant within marriage, um, being reproductive and being fruitful with children and nurturing. And it's this beautiful picture that is here on earth that is meant to teach us about what it is to be intimate with God and for his spirit within us to be bearing fruit and life in us. And so there's lots of different ways to unpack that but I think we have to start with understanding that even within the church culture, we've had a very simplistic, reductionistic understanding of sexuality that makes all this a lot more confusing. Mm -hmm. Would you unpack that a little more in the sense of how our sexuality reveals in your book, you talk about the celebration of the gospel yeah. And that can seem like a really far off concept, yeah, but I does. feel like the way that you describe it makes it makes so much more sense as full as far as this full integration is concerned. Yeah, I, I think we got to start with with recognizing that everything in the created world was meant to reveal something about the nature of God, and so anything you can point to in creation, we can say even when we read the Bible, it's pointing back to who something about who God is. So I look out my window here and I see a tree. How many times are trees mentioned in the Bible as physical things that teach us a spiritual truth? So the first thing that comes to my mind is Psalm chapter one that describes um, somebody who knows the Lord as being like a tree rooted by streams of water. The roots go deep 
and it's going to bear fruit in season and it's going to withstand storms. It's not going to be tossed around. And so the image of a tree is used to teach us about being rooted in who God is, the nourishment of his word, being steady in, in seasons of trial. Now, God just didn't look around creation and say, huh, what can I, what can I use in Psalm 1 to describe a solid person of God? He created trees with that in mind. And so all of creation is revealing the nature of God. And we look at hunger and thirst and our need for food and water. How many times in scripture uh, does God use the physical of hunger and thirst to teach us about the spiritual? Uh, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. You'll never be thirsty if you drink of me. Even communion is eating and drinking symbolically of what it is to partake in the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we have to understand that everything we experience in the created order was intentionally designed to teach us about something about God. So now let's bring that to our sexuality. You know, sexuality isn't some random thing that happened. God intentionally created us, male and female, with penises and vaginas and with hormones and with uh, desires. He created the orgasm. Like, even as I'm saying that, some people are like, did she just say that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was, it was God's idea. Satan didn't mm-hmm. pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so God created every aspect of our sexuality, not only to be good on planet Earth, but to reveal something about the nature of himself. And so then we have to ask the question, okay, God, what are you revealing through our sexuality? And actually the Bible answers that question very clearly, but we rarely hear it talked about in church. So Mm -hmm. the Bible really clearly all the way from the beginning of Genesis through Revelation speak about sexuality and the covenant of marriage as a physical metaphor to understand God's covenant love with his chosen people. And so in the Old Testament, that would be with the nation of Israel. And the New Testament, it would be with the church, which is actually called his bride. And so there's all this metaphorical language throughout both the Old and New Testament that say, your sexuality is really a picture of the way God loves his covenant people with faithfulness, with passion, with intimate knowing, and with sacrificial love. And so that gives a whole new significance to what it means to be a sexual person, even as a single sexual person. I see there too, with that depiction, the oneness the Bible describes in the sexual act and in marriage that we're bringing two to create one. And that that is how we're supposed to understand God's covenant with us. But the thing that becomes so difficult for us is when that is shattered. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a tendency to either really identify with the brokenness or we minimize the brokenness. We've normalized it. We're somewhere on that spectrum so that we no longer see the beauty of what that design is. It has been manipulated and it's been twisted. And now we're maybe underneath this spot where that idea of oneness either does not sound appealing or it's so appealing that we just are in such a desperate place to find it again. How Mm -hmm. as single people can we start to unravel that beauty of intimacy with God again to bring us into those places of sexual wholeness? Yeah, boy, that's the million dollar question right there. (laughs) You know, part of it is recognizing that we're all sexually broken. And that was something that I learned probably about five or six years ago in this ministry was, you know, I used to think that some people were sexually broken, you know, people that experienced trauma or that uh, were engaging in, in just all kinds of sex outside of marriage, like, okay, that's brokenness. But if you save sex for marriage, if you're a virgin on your wedding night, like you weren't sexually broken, but the more I studied it and the more I worked with people, the more I recognized that Satan has all kinds of different ways of twisting sex in our lives and in our minds and in our experience. And yes, there are some very blatant ways, like for those who have experienced sexual trauma, that is such a heavy weight that impacts how you view yourself, how you view people, how you view your body, uh, trusting your body and how you view God. Uh, It's, it's, It's a a heavy weight of brokenness that I know 
Uh, I don't want to just minimize that and say, oh, we all have brokenness because some brokenness is deeper. If you've experienced betrayal uh, where your spouse cheated on you and lied to you, like the scripture talks about betrayal like that as so profound because that's God knows that pain because his people betrayed him. And so uh, there, there are deep wounds that come with brokenness. But I think we also have to recognize that there's more subtle ways that sex has been twisted for all of us. And even within the church context, again, talking about it very simplistically, or some of you might like have gone to church and you hear people joking about sex or, you know, like just always using it as an innuendo of, yeah, I'm chasing my wife around the house. And if you've experienced brokenness, you're like, oh my goodness, like that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. because you're not talking about the profound nature of what sex is meant to be and how devastating it is when it's been crushed. Um, so I think it begins with recognizing that we all have work to do, but also realizing that Satan's greatest work in our brokenness comes usually in the form of lies. And so when I'm talking to somebody about how they're going to work through healing, yes, there are pieces where they might need to do some trauma work and some counseling around those sort of things. But the most profound work, I think, is really getting to the root of what lies do I believe about sex? What lies do I believe about men? What lies do I believe about my own value? Uh, And so there are a lot of lies we can believe, like I'm forever ruined and damaged because of what I did or what was done to me. Um, My wounds are beyond God's redemption and healing. I'm always going to be walking around with a cloud over me of shame. Um, You know, and the enemy whispers these lies over and over to us. The only way a guy would ever love me is if I give him sex. That's the only thing I'm worth. Uh, It just things like that, that, are, that feel true. They feel mm-hmm. more true than when I talk about this beautiful metaphor. Yeah, And we have to recognize that just because something feels true doesn't mean it is true. And so it's a consistent effort to say, God, would you reveal the lies? Let me see where I first began believing that and then replace it with me just meditating on what's true and surrounding myself with people that remind me of what's true. Mm. That's so good. I think that is one of the biggest things I've learned in my healing is that we so often don't even see some of those broken spots. We don't see those lies anymore because they're normal to us, especially if the brokenness occurred sometime very early on in our lives. We just, that's the way it is for us. We just operate out of that. And so having the ability to talk it through, and that's whether it's with wise people or a counselor or just some pastoral support, something like that, where we can start to discover what the lies are and then replace them is extremely important. I will say though, finding those people sometimes is not easy. It's especially if you've been hurt, finding people you can trust feels like too much work sometimes, or it Mm -hmm. feels like I'm not, I'm not willing to put myself out there for this again. How can we tackle that process in a way that allows relationship to be something that can be healing for us, but that we can be safe about it in the process? Yeah, I think, first of all, don't give up because everyone I meet has a story about, well, the first time I told somebody this or that, they gave me terrible advice or they rejected me. And um, and then you give up and you think, wow, I'm never going to trust anyone again it's usually sometimes sometimes God is so gracious he brings that right person right away. Mm-hmm. But it's usually the second or third person that maybe you decide to share something with where it's like, wow, that person really got me. Like they just they wept with me and they they recognized even in their posture the profound gravity of what I was sharing. And they shared some of their own brokenness with me. And so you want to look for that person who responds emotionally to you in a way that is fitting with what you've shared, uh, that responds with compassion and empathy and with when it's appropriate, revealing how they've had similar struggles or brokenness. Um, And there are people like that. I think in today's day and age, people are more apt to say, hey, I want to be honest about the fact that I struggle with pornography or I just want to be honest with you. I 
I found myself in bed with a guy last night. I don't know why I keep doing that. I need help. Uh, I want to understand what, why I keep going back to that well mm-hmm. uh, or sharing a story of sexual trauma. So uh, I think you can find that in groups that are surrounding this kind of content, Michelle, like the, mm-hmm. just websites and support groups. Um, some of the groups that we have at our ministry, Authentic Intimacy, are designed for women to go through content together, learning God's truth together. And they're all there for the same purpose. And they're, they're all willing to share where their story overlaps with yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think that there's a place where we learn even from people that we never meet. So I know some of my greatest teachers are, they died a hundred years ago, <laughs> but mm-hmm. <laughs> I have their books right over here. Mm-hmm. I am discipled by them. In today's day and age, we have podcasts and sermon series and uh, you know lots of resources from people that we may never meet but they're bringing us to the truth of scripture. Um, so I think that can be a piece of it too. And, and I also just say, cause this is so key, pray for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been seasons in my life where I've just prayed very fervently, Lord, would you bring a mentor in my life? Would you bring somebody that's like a spiritual mom in my life? I need that this season. Um, so really ask God um, to bring that because that's his will for you is that, you are mentored by um, older sisters and brothers in the Lord. Mm, I think that's so powerful too, because we have to remember that God is so much more committed to our healing, even than we are at whatever point that we're at, that he is pursuing us. He wants to place those things into our lives. And that prayer is something that allows us to see what he's doing because we're having that conversation with him. And it allows us to keep our eyes open for those people when he does drop them in. I'd like to take a short break from our conversation to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available on the go, and it works through an app where you are able to schedule video sessions or just chat with your counselor throughout the course of the week. And I found that having the combination of Christian teaching and counseling together was so encouraging and so healing for me. If you have been considering Christian counseling and you would like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. I want to go back to the thing you said about the conversations though, and that people often will share their own experiences and the mutuality that's involved in that. I find that that's so healing, especially when it comes to the shame aspect to realize that whether you have brokenness, that you have trouble getting beyond or that you are using coping behaviors and you're relapsing and you don't want to do these things and you realize that you're not alone in that. The devil would love to isolate us under shame and say, you are the only one who's doing this. You are such a failure. Why can't you get this right? And one of the best ways to silence that is just to recognize we're all walking through some kind of battle in this way. And that shame is the first thing we want to rip off from all of this to allow the healing work to come in. And I think what you said, as far as these groups that might exist even virtually, it's wonderful when we have somebody that we can sit down with to have coffee or you know meet face-to-face if you have that. But if you're in an isolated community or you just really feel uncomfortable with even dipping your toe in the water of relationality, I think during the pandemic, something that I learned is how much you can be somewhat anonymous from your own home to take part in some of these groups, but yet how that can allow you to really safely access support, even in instances where you might not otherwise want to pursue it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. We did learn that every every ministry and church had to switch to virtually, even if you were down the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we saw that in our own ministry. We regularly have about a hundred people going through groups, uh, through different groups at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I hop on those group calls, like the bonding that's happened. And they can be from different countries mm, and wow. never meet each other. But yeah. what happens when there's a safe place to stay, to share and to learn together about God's design for sexuality and the different barriers and struggles we have, it's like, it's very healing. Mm-hmm. And I think also it's not going to be one person that helps you in your journey. 
God's going to bring a community of people. And so it might include a counselor, a mentor. It might include a good friend who doesn't have a lot of answers, but just loves you and eats ice cream with you when you're down and yeah. uh, encourages you. Uh, so I, I think sometimes we're looking for that one person that embodies everything we feel like we need instead of seeing like, look around me. Like, yeah, here, here are five people that I have in my life right now that I know if I texted them or called them, you know, they they in different ways be able to minister to me. And so yeah. I think we have to be a little more creative in just how we see God even answering those prayers. Julie, what is it about safety and relationality that helps us specifically as it comes to restoring this connection to God and intimacy and his original design for our sexuality? Yeah. So the opposite of intimacy is really hiding. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so intimacy is always going to mean that I have to unveil myself. And again, we can look at the physical of sex, of sexual intimacy. You have to be physically unveiled and vulnerable in order to experience physical intimacy. Well, it's the same is true with any intimacy, with a friendship, uh, with, with any relationship. I have to take down my defenses and invite you to know who I am. And to let you see the good and the bad and the ugly, and to take the risk that you're going to keep moving towards me, you're not going to run away. And so all of us have experienced that when we've unveiled who we really are, people sometimes run away. They laugh, they reject, they hurt. And so you learn at a very young age, there are only certain parts of myself that I can let other people see. And we, we all develop a persona that we present to the public, like mm-hmm. wanting to be funny or successful or quiet. Uh, and those are ways that we've learned to navigate relationships without being known. And the same is true with God. We project that onto him and we perform for him. We hide from him. We pretend he can't see our shame. Uh, you know, we go through re- religious ritual without really ever knowing him or inviting him to know us. And so the process of intimacy always involves slowly learning to let down our guard, uh, to test and stay as the safe uh, little by little. We can be truly who we are and know that it's safe to be who we are and that people accept us for our strengths and our weaknesses and our limitations. And we accept them too. I think that's one of the things that we can understand too about why sexual brokenness is particularly devastating, especially as it comes to betrayal or abuse and these kinds of things, because we're holistic beings. Our yeah. sexuality is not a compartmentalized section mm-hmm. of ourselves. So we, if we find ourselves unable to trust, or we find ourselves having difficulty with connecting with people because we've experienced these things, it's because this thing is at the core of our ability to understand what it is to be intimate with people. And that doesn't always mean sexually intimate, but emotionally intimate. And we can't minimize or normalize the fact that that has really devastating consequences over the course of our lives if we look at it in a compartmentalized fashion. But if we start to realize that these things are all integrated together, that one of the ways to heal our sexual brokenness is to also look at healing the emotional brokenness that inevitably comes alongside with all of this. Oh, it's so true. I mean, you really can't separate the two. So when we're talking about lies, Mm -hmm. how many of the lies are things like, I'm not enough, you know, Mm -hmm. because he he cheated on me. So I wasn't enough Mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm just not good enough or I'm not beautiful enough or, uh, you you fill in the blank. We know what those scripts are, but they have a lot. They have much more to do with us than our sexuality. They're about the essence of who we are. Mm-hmm. But sex and sexual brokenness just happens to cut to the core so quickly on those identity issues that until we heal from those, uh, really, what we're doing with our bodies is really the superficial kind of outflowing of what's on the inside. Mm-hmm. And as it comes to those identity issues, though, how do we start to develop a greater sense of understanding of ourselves again after experiencing some of these traumas? Yeah, um, so it's kind of it's kind of an interesting question because I'm a clinical psychologist, and so 
you would think my answer would be go to therapy and right. <laughs> earn the love yourself. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's the kind of therapy road. And I am all for counseling and therapy. I definitely believe there's a place. But I don't think we really heal in our identity truly until we begin to know God. Because somebody can tell me, Julie, you know, you're beautiful, you're loved, and all these mantras that they want me to believe. But they don't have substance until I know the source of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think even within the church, when we throw out cliches, like, do you know, God loves you and he made you for a reason. It's like, those feel like cliches until we know God. Mm-hmm. And if our significance and our identity primarily comes in the fact that we're made in the image of God, that doesn't mean anything to us until we actually get to know him and worship him. And in some of my own brokenness and my own, um, kind of journey with identity. Like I had all kinds of identity issues through mm-hmm. teenage and early adulthood that I was trying to figure out. And it really wasn't until I understood what personal intimacy with God is and what personal worship with God is until I really began to not just obey him and serve him, but actually commune with him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until then that like all the addictions I had related to my identity started to fall away. And I think Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter three, you know, he was a real performer Hmm. and he lists all the great things he did before he knew Christ. And he said, but all these things, all these things on my resume, I consider them to be rubbish compared to how great it is to actually know God. And I think that's the answer when we actually see the glory of God and we know him then all the things we worry about, how skinny we are, how in shape we are, how beautiful we are, uh, how successful we are, like those things feel weightless compared to the weight of knowing God. Uh, And unfortunately, I think a lot of our religious um, activities and even books are more about performing than they are about actually knowing God. And that's the secret that I think unlocks being content with who God made you. Julie, how can we approach that in instances where maybe we are distrusting of God, especially if we feel that whatever's happened to us happened under his watch? Yeah. Whatever has happened hasn't happened under his watch. We have to say that because God doesn't, he's not bound by chains when evil happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there are, are very heavy questions that we wrestle with. Like, why would a good God allow this to happen? And there are great theological thinkers that have addressed those kinds of questions in books like Tim Keller's book is a great one on understanding suffering. And there's not an easy answer. Right. Uh, but this is what I, we can say. We, we will trust God when we know him. And we can't trust somebody we don't know. And as much as somebody can give you a theological explanation for why God allowed that to happen, what you really need is a personal encounter where you can ask God himself. Mm-hmm. And he's not afraid of that question. Mm-hmm. And he welcomes that question. Uh, I was just reading today in my devotions, the story of Lazarus dying and Mary and Martha, who are these really great friends of Jesus who they know Jesus loves them because it says over and over in the passage in John 11, everybody knew that Jesus loved this family, but they asked him questions and anguish. And they said, Jesus, if you were here, you would have saved my brother. And the implication is if you love me, why weren't you here? And with Mary, Jesus doesn't give her a direct answer. He weeps with her. And it says that, he felt anguish, like he actually was angry at death. And so there's an aspect to which when we ask God, if you were here, you would have kept my dad from doing that to me, Mm. or you would have kept my husband from hurting me. And there's a sense where God knows that there's no answer our brain can understand, but his presence in strength, weeping with us and assuring us that justice will be done and that we only see a sliver of the story, like that's what brings healing. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and so he can handle your questions. He can handle your anger. He understands them. He feels the weight of the pain that you walk through. Uh, and so I would say, give full voice to those and ask the Lord, why weren't you there? Or are you here? Or if you're here, show me that you're here. And God is up to that kind of question and challenge. Yes, he is. I've had a personal experience with that myself. One of the most life-changing encounters I had with the Holy Spirit came after me asking God, are you there? And if you are, please show yourself to me. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely relishes in our lang- our anguish as we bring it to him because it gives him that opportunity to show that he was always there and he's going to continue to be there and that through him, everything we've experienced, he can mend and that there can be a healing so beautiful that it's not going to erase what happened to you, but it will give meaning to it in the sense that even your life, your relationships, your relationship with him, all of these things that you have that still await you in the future, all are so much sweeter when you surrender that anger, surrender those feelings to his hand, and then allow him to just love you. And I think sometimes we want to have that weighty, like theological answer of like, why does God allow all these bad things to happen? And there's, as you said, plenty of great books about that subject, but realistically speaking, the experience of what it looked like for me was just saying, I don't want this pain anymore. What are you going to do with it? And watching him in that process, it's more than I could ask or imagine, but I think we have to feel that it is allowed often, very, very often in our church culture to even be that direct or that aggressive towards God in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're saying there is so key. And I'm glad that you have a personal testimony Mm because it's it's one thing to say, oh, just do this. But yeah, your testimony is echoed by thousands who would say, Mm -hmm. I took God up on that. I asked the honest questions. And Mm -hmm. um, I think we've got to realize that there's a lot in church culture that isn't actually biblical. Mm -hmm. How often in church do we read the Psalms of anguish Yes, and cry out to the Lord with David? Where are you? The wicked seem like they're overrunning the land and people are surrounding me, trying to devour me. And where are you, God? Like, I don't know where you are. Mm -hmm. And some of the Psalms just end like that. There's no answer. Um, but we don't, we get so uncomfortable with those Psalms because we feel like we have to have the answer. But, but the, the, the writers of the scriptures felt the freedom to ask questions they didn't have answers to and to give full vent to sadness and anger and lament. And I think um, we need to really learn, relearn from them some of the freedom that we've lost. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought up the Psalms too, because I find a pattern in specifically in David's Psalms that he will ask these questions and he will go to bat and say, this is what I'm dealing with. I don't like this. Where are you? This is not fair. And yet at the end, inevitably he comes around to, but I know you're good, but I know you're there and I'll sing of your praises and these kinds of things. And it proves that we may not always have answers, but God always will show himself present. Mm-hmm. To the point where the answer is not even what satisfies us anymore. It's the knowledge that I was heard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing with victims. We feel often that our voice is silenced. Mm-hmm. And that is so empowering for us to be able to go to God and have a voice and have it be heard. Mm-hmm. And I think I just want to take a second to any woman who's listening who wonders if God wants to hear her voice. And he created it and he wants to hear it. Yeah. Amen. And not, <laughs> not only that, I'm going to add to that, that mm. the scripture says that you actually have an advocate in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ, like in Romans chapter eight and other places, it, God himself is interceding for you to himself, which is hard for us to understand how mm. the Trinity works, but it's right there in scripture. And so uh, God not only wants to hear your voice, he wants to be your advocate in the middle of feeling helpless and without a voice. That's so good. He 
has the words when we don't. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Julie, as far as sexual desire being a single person, so we may be on a healing journey, various stages of that, but being in a committed relationship and then being single, there are all of these urges and desires that we may not know exactly what we're supposed to do with them. What counsel would you offer to a woman who's in that spot? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think first of all, surrounding yourself in community with other women that get that and understand it uh, and validate it. And so I've been married now for 27 years. And so I deal with more of the other side of it. Like, okay, I've got to make this a priority in marriage. And, and I think singles can feel very lonely in their struggle uh, and to have other single women that, you can call or just get together with and be like, yeah, last night was really rough or this is a rough season. And how are you dealing with those desires is just that community is really important and helpful. But another thing that I think is really key is learning to discern between what is a true physical desire where my body just craves touch and a release and sex versus uh, what are desires underneath that that make it feel more like I need sex now? Because a lot of times, yes, there is the physiological aspect of hormones and desires and being aroused. Uh, but more often, that desire for sex and that felt need of sex has more to do with other needs that become attached to our sexuality. So, for example, if the only way you ever experience touch is through sex, then maybe you don't necessarily need, need sex as much as you just need touch. We all, human beings do not thrive without touch, uh, without hugs and without someone's arm around you. And even without like massage, you know, like our skin needs contact. Uh, and especially I think COVID made this so much worse, but mm. how much of it is that? How much of it is that you want to belong to someone and that you're lonely. And instead of saying I'm lonely, you experience it as I just want sex. Mm -hmm. uh, how much of it is the need for comfort and healing? A lot of times we learn early on, especially with trauma or the exposure to early sex, we learn that we can soothe ourselves and get comfort through masturbation, through sex. And so sex becomes sort of like a self-medicating drug of where we want to go when we feel anxiety or depression. And so the issue isn't, I need sex. The issue is I need comfort and uh, I'm afraid or I'm sad and I'm depressed or I'm bored. Life just seems dull and sex is a way to kind of feel like, okay, this is adventurous. I'm getting some adrenaline coursing through my body. And so I think a lot of this journey is addressing those underlying needs in healthier ways so that we're not putting sexual desire as the answer to all these things that really are legitimate needs in our life. That was something I learned from your book that was so helpful was unraveling those underlying needs because I think our minds often work to what is the first direct route to get to what I want. And so yes. if I experience this need, then this is the route that I want to take to get to it. But there are multiple routes to fulfilling those needs that God did not create us as sexual beings then though with all of these needs to go, oh, but if you're single, like uh, too bad, yeah. like can't get your needs met. Um, mm -hmm. And, but it's just recognizing that sometimes that first most direct route is not the one. <laughs> it's uh -huh. not always the way to get it done. And, and it's really not the one that long-term satisfies. So mm -hmm. let's say that loneliness is the underlying need. You might be able to satisfy that in the short term with a hookup or with a date or, but afterwards you probably feel more lonely mm -hmm. because here I connected with this person. I was vulnerable and they're not calling me back. Mm -hmm. And so it makes the matter worse instead of really solving it long-term. So mm -hmm. I think the healing journey is, is really trying to understand more of, okay, God, what, what, what do I really need? Um, what did you create me for? that is lacking in my life that again, I'm interpreting as it's all, it's all encompassed in marriage and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we have to give ourselves the grace to realize we may have to modify 
the way that we're doing things or modify what we're ingesting into our lives, whether it's movies or music or those types of things, so that we can handle the fact that, yeah, you might have these physiological responses, but for this season, you may need to turn away from some of the things that you were okay with in the past because it makes it too hard for you. Like you're torturing yeah. yourself basically, you know, like me, yeah. I love romantic comedies, but if I'm going to watch this and it's going to make me feel terrible, then I have to stop watching them right now. And that's yeah. okay. That's very true. Like my husband um, just did a fast a few weeks ago where he went five days on a liquid diet and he intentionally chose when I and my son were going to be out of town mm-hmm. because he was like, I don't want to be reminded of food. And if you guys are cooking and eating dinner, then it's harder for me to fast. And mm-hmm. so this is very true. Like what we surround ourselves with will accentuate desire, will make us feel desire. If you're fasting, you don't want to walk by Panera Bread and smell the bread. Yeah. Like go another route. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're right. There are things that that are really intended to create desire mm-hmm. and romantic comedies or, or romance novels and you know, obviously more graphic sexual things, they are, they're created to awaken desire. And so you're just making it more difficult for yourself. Yeah. Our culture is not sensitive to those things at all. So (laughs) you have to kind of like put up the guard on yourself and say, all right, I got to keep this stuff out. I love what you said about fasting as well, though, too, because one of the things when fasting from food that I was taught early on is when you feel that hunger pain, that that's a time to pray. And Mm -hmm. it reminds you of your reliance on God. And I found the same thing through sexuality that if you're having that desire, that urge that comes, that that can be a reminder of a time to pray, especially as you mentioned in your book, that it's all designed to connect us to the fact that we want intimacy with God mm-hmm. and that it's played out sometimes through our intimacy with other people. Mm-hmm. And so using that time to say, Lord, I know you created this and Lord, I know you have a plan for me and show me the right way to handle this. But that treating it almost like a food fast in that sense can really be helpful in those times where, you know, as a single person, you maybe didn't intend that this was going to be where you're at, but here's where you yeah. are and you got to figure out ways to work through it. Yeah. And I think it also teaches you, even if you would do the disciplines like a fast, you're, this isn't going to last forever. And so that hunger pain, uh, that lonely night where you just feel that, that intense desire, that's, that's going to pass, like mm-hmm. hang in there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to give into it. It's, you know, distract yourself, pray, mm-hmm. um, you know, go towards something that's healthy and you're probably going to forget about it in 15, 20 minutes. Um, really and good. so I, I think we live in a culture where we've trained ourselves. I have to have what I want. I have to, if I feel something, I need it to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. Uh, actually, we're more fulfilled once we learn not to be driven by every desire we have. Truly mm-hmm. so helpful. You've given some fantastic tips here to help us just start to unravel what it is to heal in these areas, but then also how we deal with some of these things while we are walking through this single season. As we wrap the conversation, I ask every guest the same question at the end. And that is, if there's just one thing that you wanted a single mom to know, what would it be? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, that I see you. And I think that's so important to hear because I think often single moms feel unseen and unrecognized. They're not sure which groups they fit in. Uh, And I respect you and admire the work that you're doing. It is so hard to raise kids and to raise them alone and to raise them feeling wounded uh, from however a relationship ended. Uh, And then also to feel like there's an essence where you you don't feel like you're part of the true community. Mm -hmm. That just adds burdens to what is already such a difficult job. And so more importantly than me seeing you know that God sees you and that, uh, and that he's pleased when you seek him and you give him all that you have and you trust him. He's going to make up for what you feel like you lack um, because we're all lacking, but I'm Michelle, I'm so grateful that you're doing this podcast and ministry because I think single moms are probably the most unappreciated and unrecognized people in the body of Christ. And, and we need to do a much better job at, at really encouraging 
women that are just striving to honor God through difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying that with a hearty amen. I agree. (laughs) Thank you so much, Julie. Would you tell listeners about your resources and how they can connect with you? Yeah, sure. So the ministry I run is called Authentic Intimacy, and we talk about sex um, and intimacy and intimacy with God and how it all connects. Um, So we've got lots of resources for single women. We have a Bible study called Sex and the Single Girl. That might be a great place to start. Uh, But we also have a podcast called Job with Julie, where we just hash out a lot of these topics in podcast form. So we'd love for you to connect with us. Fantastic. I will have links to all of those in the show notes to make it easier for the listeners to find those resources. But thank you so much again for joining me. I loved having you. Thank you. It's been a joy. Unfortunately, I know most of us, if not all of us, have become all too familiar with sexual brokenness. What I'm so thankful for in this conversation with Julie is this understanding of sexual wholeness and that I'm not just trying to be unbroken. I have something to move towards in becoming whole when it comes to my sexuality. As we wrap up this episode, I hope that you will take some time for yourself and just sit with the Lord and bask in the understanding that He is redeeming your story and that He is taking back what has been taken from you. As we wrap up today's episode, I do want to point out a couple of resources available in the show notes. The first is our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Going through the issues and things that we're dealing with as single moms in community is so valuable. And so if you'd like to join the Facebook group, all you have to do is search for Agape Moms on Facebook at Agape Moms, and then click on the groups tab there and submit a request to join the group. Likewise, if you would like to follow along with Agape Moms on Instagram, you can search for us at Agape Moms. Additionally, I now have a weekly video guided scripture meditation available for every episode of the podcast. And if you subscribe to the Agape Moms YouTube channel, you will receive notifications when those videos become available. And it's just a great way to start off your day with some encouragement from God's word and apply some of the things that we're learning here on the podcast. I also want to thank you for your subscriptions, your rankings, your reviews. It's so encouraging to me to see what God is doing in your life and to see him on the move, but it also helps other women to be drawn in to just what God has for them here as well. And as you move through the rest of your day or your evening, I just pray that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved. Mm-hmm.